get a list of every single concept, every terminology that you teach. Make a massive list out of it and then do this process. Create that web, take that web, start grouping. Once you've grouped it, do it again. Group it a different way and get to the group where you feel like it does not get any simpler and more intuitive than the way that I've grouped it. In 1837, Horace Mann created the education system, a system at the time designed to pump out factory workers and professors. The same system that is still being used today in the 21st century. Now, Mann's system is backfiring. We are being molded by the same industrial system that has existed for close to 200 years. That system delivers us into a digital economy that has no need of our outdated skills. This isn't our teacher's fault. This isn't the government's fault. This is due to a rapidly changing world full of technology and unforeseen circumstances. And us Gen Zs are caught in the middle. Welcome to the Driven Young Podcast, the podcast for stressed, overwhelmed young Australians, teaching you practical life skills you can implement now to set yourself up in life. And now your host, Byron Dempsey. Justin, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be back. <laughs> Good to be back. Um, haven't done this too often, but you know, we had a great conversation for the first time. Um, we t- went into your whole story. So I will say to anyone who's listening, if they want to hear your story and a bit more about, I guess, your journey as a doctor and what you're doing, go back to the previous episode. I'll yeah. link it all and um, go listen to that. But this episode, we're going to be more niching and just like, uh, I'm not sure where we're going to go. We're just going to kind of wing it. But I want to yeah. talk more about like the strategies you, you teach people when it comes yeah. to education, how to effectively learn. Um, I know that I was actually watching Dale edit one of your videos <laughs> and you said that through learning strategies, you were able to do like 40 hours of work in two hours a week. And I'm like, man, how can you do that? How is it possible? What what skills are you teaching young people? And why are you doing all this learning stuff? Okay, so like, here's a few things I should put on the table is that when when, when someone says that they can cut down 40 hours into two hours, the first thought that any reasonable person will have is like, that must be BS, like that can't be real, Uh, it's too good to be true. Um, And so like, I'm just going to start with by explaining why that's just completely not the case at all. So when I first try to create my learning system, I started with a blank slate. And that single decision to start with a blank slate changes everything. So imagine you're an alien and you arrive on this earth. You have no idea about the preconception of how people tend to learn or, or tend to study. Everything becomes a question. When are you meant to read? What are you meant to read? What page do you start on? What word do you start on? What do you think about when you read that word? Do you keep reading? How long do you read for? When you're reading, what are you meant to think about? Are you meant to write notes? Why are you writing notes? Where do you write notes? When do you write notes? How often do you write notes? When do you go to a lecture? What do you do during a lecture? What do you listen to? What do you think about? And then like, how do all of those things interact? Do I read before I go to the lecture? Do I read during the lecture? Do Mm. I read after? Why do I do that? And if so, what's the spacing? What's the timing? When do I write the notes during that entire process? You know, like, and that's just touching on a fraction of it. Every single thing becomes a a question if we challenge everything that we're doing and we start from a completely blank slate. Mm. So that's what I did because when I entered into uni, and I was doing my 20 hours a day of studying. And then I got into medical school and then I realized that you know it's the, the content is double. At that point, I had already been using pretty much all of the commonly known techniques. And I did get good results, but the, the cost to, to get those good results, like, you know, like the, what is the cost you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. of getting those good results was um, 20 hours a day yeah. of studying. So Which I is knew- not sustainable. Like at all. Yeah. Like, I don't think people realize like how much, of, well, I don't know, maybe it's actually pretty damn obvious how much of a toll 20 hours a day of studying is going to take if you do yeah. that for months, if not like 
you know, let alone like years of something like medical school, right? So I already knew that I was at the ceiling of the current method that I was using because I was already like, I'd already used it. I'd already optimized what I was using to a certain extent. And I was, that's the, the result I was able to get. And sure, like someone smarter than me, will, you know, that has more like natural intelligence, they'll be able to, you know, do the same method and they can push out maybe, I don't know, like, you know, the same amount of actual learning and maybe 10 hours. Mm. But, you know, I'm not able to just like rewire myself to be just become naturally smarter. So I knew that what I was doing was not working and I knew I couldn't improve anymore with what I was doing. So I had to start from scratch. So when we ask all of these questions and we look for each of these questions, is there research on it that directly answers it? And if there is not, is there some theory out there that could allow you to create something out of it? And if there isn't a theory about it, are there other theories that you could kind of put together to create a theory mm. of your own to then experiment with? When you do it that way and you start from scratch, you realize how many of the things we do when you study are completely artificial and they are just because it is the norm that you're used yeah. to doing that is completely unsupported by research or theory. And in a, lot, a lot of times, it's literally the opposite. Like the research or the theory is saying that that type of method would not work mm. and it's not going to be suitable. So the analogy that I kind of give is like if you're playing a musical instrument. I, I, did I do this analogy with you last time? Uh, I don't remember a musical instrument. Okay, so like imagine, do you play the... Like violin, I play guitar. Example. Okay, do you play violin? No. Okay, okay. like violin's like a notoriously like pretty difficult instrument sure. to, to learn. Imagine that you like never heard of violin. You don't know what a violin is. And one day I like give you a violin. I like, lock you in this room. You don't have access to YouTube. You don't have access to anything, right? Mm. You just have violin. And then I give you some sheet music and I say, you need to play this. And uh, you just pick this thing up and then you like touch it and, you know, and you realize that sounds can be made in a certain way. If I leave you locked in this room, like hooked up to some kind of IV fluids yeah, for yeah, like yeah. a whole year, yeah. you're going to learn how to make this violin produce a sound. Mm. Is it going to be a high quality sound? Probably not. Unlikely. Are you going to be using the right technique? Pretty unlikely if mm. you're just figuring it out by yourself. Let's say we have now a group of 100 people locked in a room together. After, let's say, 10 years, you're going to find that every single person in that room knows how to play the violin. Every single person is going to have a somewhat similar yeah. way of playing it because it worked for one person. So you see, oh, that person, you know, they were able to make a better sound doing it that way. Mm -hmm. So everyone's going to start getting better and better and better. So this group of 100 people are going to have very similar kind of technique and they're all going to be able to sort of play. If you compare that with someone that was trained by a professional violinist for two years, that professional violinist, like that, the person that was properly trained, is going to absolutely waste yeah. the people that were bumbling around for 10 years, mm. right? That's basically the, the case with studying. We are never really taught the real right way to study that is based on up-to-date research that reflects the real needs that, that learners have, right? We're either taught stuff that's super outdated or is like irrelevant in modern curriculums, or we're just like not taught at all and we just do things that seem I don't, intuitively I, right. I don't even know, like at school, it was just study, do your homework. It was, it was never like, they never taught you. It was just like study, how do I study? I remember in, in my school, we just would literally get the essays from the year above and just write them out. Yeah. And then I'd like, Same. and then I'd put it, like I'd record it, cause I didn't know how to study, especially doing essays. I had no idea how to do it. I'd, I'd force, I'd be at the back, I'd be writing it out. My hand would be sore. Then I'd read it out, 
put it in my, my headphones and go for a walk and try to listen to it, which I don't know if that did anything. Yeah. But I'm just like, I was so scattered. I had no idea what I was doing. And that has not changed, you know, at all for like, you know, a student going through things now because that's the same experience that I had. Yeah. And then if you don't know how learning happens, everything is confusing, yeah. right? If something isn't, if you don't do well on the test, you don't know why. Mm. It's just, you didn't do well. It's just binary. Like I put an effort but it didn't get a result yeah. because you don't know what the, the process is in the middle. So it's just a, a big question mark. You have no idea. Like, why did I not do well? Like, what can I do to improve? You, and then you become desperate. You're like, oh, maybe I can like do this or maybe I can do this. And that's how, you know, people get into drugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the point that I love that you made last time was like, you know, if you've got a hundred people in a year and let's say 20 of them really don't care about getting a final mark. So you've got 80 people that are competing for a high mark and five of those get like a 99 out of a hundred or whatever top mark. And you go, well, those five use study cards. They used um, whatever different methods. So you go, oh, that must be the way to do it. However, the other 80 also used exactly. all those strategies. Yeah. That was such a, a mic drop moment for me because I was like, that's so true. Yeah. It's so true. So it's just because just, just, just it worked for those people doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Yeah. And, and there's a really big difference. Like, okay, we all know that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're a good teacher. Mm, right? Yes, for sure. Like, that doesn't need to be explained. No one yeah. doesn't know that. Yeah. Usually. It's the same for something like studying. A lot of people that are good at studying and are good at learning and get good results, they're not necessarily good at teaching other people how to do that mm. because there's this thing called metacognition, right? It's a huge thing, right? You know, it's the thinking about thinking and it's the awareness of your own thoughts and your processes. And research is very strong in showing that metacognition is associated with better outcomes. People with high metacognition perform better because mm. it allows you to be the mechanic of your brain. If something is going wrong, you know about what's going on enough that you can look into it and you can say, ah, this is the reason why it's you know, not working the right way and then you can fix it. So people usually don't develop like strong metacognition of, about things, especially if it's something that they've always been good at or they're sub, you know, it's a subconscious process. Right, because they don't have a need to. They don't, there's no need to. Yeah. So if you ask a top achieving student, what is your secret? 99 out of 100 times, they're not actually able to pinpoint what it is. They can tell you things that are working for them yeah. and they know that when they do it, it produces some kind of effect, but when they don't do it, they lose that effect. But it doesn't mean that number one, that effect is consistent and you're gonna get the same effect. And it also doesn't mean that that effect is the thing that is actually pushing them over the line. Yeah. For example, maybe they're already 90% there and this is the thing that adds on that additional 10%. Mm. Maybe you get the exact same effect, but you're now going from 50 to 60%. Mm. It, it's not enough to maybe see a result, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like a nuanced subject. And so people are really sort of fixed on trying to get that super quick tip that's gonna just flip them from, you know, being like an average student to like, you know, that, that top excellent student. And they think that just copying the success is gonna bring them that success. Yeah. But if you're going to copy it, what you need to do is you need to copy everything. You need to copy the way that they're thinking, the way that they're processing, every little nuance that's going on in their mind. And usually that person is not even going to be aware of what that process is. I think the other thing is if we're talking about like teaching, because that's something that frustrates me a lot. Because I've spent the past two years like learning how to teach very effectively. Like when I teach money and finance, I'm not teaching it how I would learn it. I'm t I attack it from like when I teach compound interest, I think I have 10 different methods of teaching that. I have four stories. I use visual, I use a stage because I'm just trying to get this across to them. Mm -hmm. Like I'll step on the stage. I'll be like, if we go from 1,000, year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, and I do all these different methods to try to get that across. I think the issue is if we've got like a top student who goes to start tutoring someone, right? They only know what works for them. 
They haven't been taught to like learn to teach all these different ways. So they're not going to like sit there and analyze a student and go, hmm, how do they learn? Okay, we could we could apply this method. We could apply this method. They're just going to go, well, this worked for me. So therefore, hopefully it can work for you. Yeah. One of the things that I found after my first like year of actually teaching students, you know, way back in early uni mm. was that there is a lot of stuff that works for 80% of people. And for 15%, it doesn't work. And for 5%, it makes it worse. And so now I'm in a position where I'm giving advice at scale. Normally, hey, it works for 80% of people. And then 15%, it's not going to harm them. Yeah. You know, 95%, you know, that's pretty good. But for me, my perspective is, well, that 5% could represent 100,000 people. Mm. I'm going to be screwing over 100,000 people if I give advice that, you know, is, is not something that I can be accountable for. Mm. So I'm now needing to hit the, and this needs to be 99.99%. It, it, it needs to be, this is advice that if you follow it, there's no chance that it's going to produce at least a negative effect. Mm. And I think if people were to look at advice through that lens and actually see, is this advice that I think virtually 100% of the population will be able to get success with using versus is this just one person's perspective on what worked in an isolated case, they'd realize that I'll, like seriously, most of the advice out there in terms of learning and studying comes from an extremely narrow lens from people that have virtually no experience testing it across yeah. like hundreds of different people. They've just gone, this worked for me, therefore and their mates. I'll, I'll put it out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're in their immediate circle. And, and even in the there. group of mates, there's that one guy that didn't work for. Yeah. Like, even in the sample size of five mm. at an 80% success rate, you know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. And usually, and usually a group of friends, they're pretty similar as well. You know, they're like similar ways of thinking, similar like, backgrounds and upbringings and you know education systems and all that that sort of stuff and when you diversify outside of that different countries or different curriculums or whatever it is different year groups the variations increases massively 100 yeah. percent, and that's that's the huge issue but like i guess going forward we've kind of established a bit of a, a base what are some of the studying mistakes you see people make and like how can we start if someone's listening to this going all right justin i get it yeah i'm hearing how do i start obviously you've got your course which is very well priced so i think everyone should have a look at that if they're serious about it yeah they should definitely jump on your course but i guess in this podcast what are the first steps i should take yeah so there there's you know like it's hard to say what is the first step but there are some first steps that need to be taken like prerequisites so the first thing is getting like a good perspective on sort of what type of journey, what type of learning there's going to be. There, there's a lot of advice that you're going to have to take and a lot of, um, a lot of work that you're going to have to do. And one of the first things that I'd recommend is for people to start building self-awareness about what their own process of studying actually involves mm. and start trying to rationalize it. Like I mentioned before, this metacognition, it's really hard to improve in any meaningful way. Like you can use some tips here and there and that gives you immediate results of like a certain amount. But if you really want to change things in a big way, it's very, very hard to do that without having strong self-awareness and metacognition. Mm. You need to know what your learning processes involve and the effects that it creates. And if you don't have that, then it's, it's, um, it's sort of going in blind. Um, yes, you can get lucky, but it's going to take a lot longer. It's going to be very frustrating. And in a purely practical sense, it's very demotivating when you're trying to do something again and again, and you're yeah. sort of hitting up against a wall. Most people are not going to do it 100, 200 times until they succeed, right? And it's not necessary to. Like, you could use that grit somewhere else yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. You know, more relevant. Yeah. So I think keep in mind that, like, everyone learns differently or they have their own method. And so, so by being consciously aware of how you do it is the first step you're saying. Yeah, so understand, because uh, like I said before, is that there are a lot of assumptions. And once you start looking at this actively, you will be 
amazed actually at how much of learning is purely based on assumption. Like, uh, you know, writing notes is a great example. Most people, when they write notes, they don't even think about the idea that there are actually so many ways of writing notes. Most people think about writing notes as like, there's maybe four or five different ways that you can write notes. Mm. No, there's not. There's like four or five billion ways that you can write notes. You can literally, it's, you, your hand is capable of expressing anything, mm. you know, that you, you want to in any format that you want it to. Every variable around that is something that is actually a decision that you're making, whether you're aware of it or not. Even so, as you're saying that, I was just thinking like, how come we don't write notes like by drawing visual pictures? Yeah, like, well, some we, people do. Some yeah, people do. I, I never even thought about that. Like if, if a teacher's talking about something, why don't you draw a visual picture so you can, that'll help you remember it or something. Yeah. I'd never even considered that. Yeah, so, you know, can you, can you do, so like one aspect of note-taking that I talk about is like the idea of developing non-linear note-taking. I think non-linear note-taking is a very easy, you know, one of the earliest steps that someone can take because it, it combines a lot of elements of learning. So note-taking is, is meant to be a reflection of your learning process, right? The analogy that I give here is like a map. If you've got a map, like um, if you go to like a city like, uh, I don't know, have you ever been to like Barcelona or, you know, like some, like a lot of European I've cities. I've been to the European cities, yeah. Yeah, like a lot of these European cities, they're built on really old foundations. For sure. And then like the center of the city is like, honestly, like real complicated. You know, there's like alleyways yeah, everywhere yeah. and... Um, you know, like I went, I went to Venice and like you're in these like super narrow yeah, like yeah. alleyways and you have no sense of direction and then you walk for like 20 minutes like, oh, here's the canal. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are in a city like that and you look at the map, you're going to look at this map and you're going to have absolutely no idea what's going on. To get from one point to another point, it's going to, you know, it's like a spider web of possible yeah. paths that you can take. You wouldn't say based on that map that therefore maps are irrelevant. Maps are a useless tool. You would say that the city is not organized in an easy to follow yeah. way. Well, that's kind of like Sydney versus Melbourne. Because Sydney yeah, yeah. was built, it was, it was built, established here, and they just kind of built it out. Whereas yeah. Melbourne, they were like, all right, let's be intentional yeah. and let's make it more <laughs> gridded and everything. Yeah. So, like, when I, I was in Manhattan a f several years ago, and Manhattan is like literally, you know, grid by grid by grid, mm. and the numbers are like First Avenue, Second Avenue, like you can, it's like coordinates basically for every single location. So it's very easy to navigate because it's organized intentionally, mm. right? So notes should be a reflection of the way that you've organized the information and it should be intentional. But the problem with what I call linear note-taking, which is sequential, usually left to right, usually down the page, maybe using some bullet points here and there. Yeah. The problem is that knowledge is not linear. No real knowledge, especially expert level knowledge, is not linear by nature. So trying to represent it with linear notes produces a massive hard limitation on what you can actually represent. Have you ever read the Lord of the Rings books? I haven't read them. Okay. There, do you know like the... Okay, I've uh, read The Hobbit though. Yeah, yeah. You know like the, um, like the door entering to like the mines of Moria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a very ornate door. In the movie, they you know, portray it and you know, it's like got this very impressive kind of appearance to it. In the book, that's like two whole pages of description mm. to describe what the door looks like. Mm. In the movie, it's like four seconds and you look at it and you're like, oh, I can see that. Same thing with your notes, you know? In order for you to explain how four different things are related to each other in a way mm. that's accurate, you might need to write three pages of notes to summarize the intricacy of that. It's a, it's a great analogy because I've been reading a lot of books lately and I think the power that books has over movies is you get that internal dialogue. Yeah. And so when a character is sitting on the ledge, that's three pages of hearing their thoughts and unpacking. Whereas in the movie, it's just a panning shot for two seconds. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's these different processes because when it comes to something like writing the notes, it... It, um, it involves like, if you're reading 
like the, a, a, a portrayal of a door. And then you have to then put that in a movie. Think about what is going through your brain, reading through this to build the picture to the point where it's accurate enough where you can actually like draw it or paint it or put it mm. in like a movie. Versus think about, you know, if you were to um, just, just, just read it like, you know, and skim through it and then, you know, that's it. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah it's a door. You know, the, the level of thinking is, is completely different. You might be consuming the same amount of information, but trying to put it in a way that is like neatly represented in a single kind of snapshot, mm. that takes a lot of thinking. Now, if someone else were to look at that, they're not going to get that same level of thought because they're now seeing your simplified organized version. Yes. Same thing should be for your notes. If someone else were to look at your notes, they would think it's very organized, but I don't really get a sense for like what's really like important here. Like I'm not feeling like there's so much information going on and that's how it should be because you are the one that needs to put in the effort to simplify it and process it and organize it. And I'm not talking about just like having different headings and coloring it in different ways and highlighting it and you know, using a different font. So with non-linear note-taking, we're breaking the idea that information has to go from the beginning to the end sequentially. So we're saying, how can I arrange this information on a page that represents information differently? Mm. How can I use the shape of the knowledge to express an idea? Like if I know that one thing leads to two other things and then those things combine together with the addition of another factor that produces this result to this level of importance, you could use maybe this kind of diamond shape with something coming into it to produce something, right? If you imagine something that looks like this mm. with a line here leading to this, mm. that already is memorable. Yeah. So now you're getting additional memory cues. We're able to package a lot of complex information with purely just the uses of, of shapes. Because like, <clears throat> I'm just trying to, the way I guess I'm interpreting what you're saying is to say we have, because I guess a lot of people just do note taking because the teacher's there and you just and you've got to you've got to look, make it look like you're doing something right. Yeah. At least me in high school sometimes. Yes. Still, that's the case. Yeah, like you're just like, oh, I'm just make it look like I'm doing something. Now kids will just take a photo, copy yeah. copy the words and paste them as if it's going to do anything. Yeah. But I guess note taking the objective should be learning the content and then regurgitating it in a way that you can that you comprehend it on the page. So the diamond thing, right? Say, oh there's, oh, there's five steps. How can I draw those five steps out in a certain way? Oh, so they enter. So the first step is like a science or something. First, we've got to come up with a hypothesis, and that enters into here. And then, and you could draw arrows, which point the whole different thing. And we just again, we're making up examples here, yeah. but I guess it's just dropping the seed of breaking that linear. Because yeah, for me, it was just dot points. I just dot point everything really. Yeah, and and not necessarily even like for in that example that you gave, like let's say there's five steps. Well, in, in that case, it's relatively simple because there's actually five ordered steps. Mm. But what I'm talking about is even stuff that's not ordered. Mm. You know, stuff that like, um, for example, like when you were, you know, writing your chapter in here. Yeah. When you're talking about this, you can talk about it from any part of the story back to front, right? The knowledge that you have about mm. what you wrote is not linear. You can teach the same topic that you do workshops on and things like that in 50 different ways. You said there's 10 different ways of teaching it, but those 10 different ways came from 100 different possibilities, mm. right? So your knowledge about that is not linear. If you were to write about everything you know about that, and I said, do it in like, uh, like literally a linear structure, that would be a massive amount of information that you'd have mm. to write down. You know, you'd be writing for days. But if I said, okay, well, can you, you know, sort of create a schematic or a map of how you understand it. And then can you now emphasize what you think are like the major milestones? Which yeah. are the points of the, the biggest? Can you group some of those bigger points together? Yeah. So then instead of having like 50 different relationships, we now have sort of six major relationships that are, you know, so you can see that that process of thinking about it is back and forth. Yeah. It's lateral. It's a lot of comparison and it's a lot of really thinking about it. 
I'll give you an example of going on the book one. Um, KPI, which is the company, or Dent Global I used to work for, they do a, a two-day workshop on writing your own book. And how they do it is they basically, they give you, um, you know, study cards, different yeah. colored cards. Mm -hmm. And each card color represents a certain thing. So mm -hmm. red is the chapter. R yellow are the key points. This is over thing. And literally there's like 40 people in this room once it's all laid out and you've learned it out, there's just 40 people spread throughout the room who have laid out their entire book on the floor, yeah. broken it down using different colors. It's genius. I've it was like a book is such a hard thing to, there's so much information in your head. Like how do I regurgitate this into a book? But if you break it down like that, I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Yeah. So even a simple way of breaking it down like that makes it so much simpler. Yeah. You know? And you don't need to have necessarily like different colored cards to do this. Like this can be a purely mental process that you can do. You can do this in class. You can do this when you are, you know, at home studying, you don't, you don't have to have be laid out on the floor. You can do it at your desk. You know, it's, it's a, it's a possible thing to start training your brain into saying learning is something that happens predominantly in the brain, in the mind. Mm. And my notes are just helping me with that thought process yeah. rather than what people do is put things on the page and then out of my mind. Yeah. Right. And then it's on the page. We feel good about it. We feel secure, but actually is that knowledge in your brain? Can you actually yeah. retrieve it? We have the illusion of like progress. Yeah. It's the illusion. It's the, it's that illusion of learning that I talk about. It's, mm. you know, it's, it makes you feel good because it feels like the knowledge is there, but where is the knowledge? The knowledge is there, but it needs to be here. The knowledge needs to be here. Mm. But if we think about learning primarily as what is going on in our brain? How are we processing and thinking about it? How much work am I doing to, to do this? Even if you have no idea about what an effective learning technique is, at the very, very least, we can do it based on how much work and brain power am I exerting to think about this information. Mm. At the most basic level, that's going to produce a result, right? It's like if you go to the gym and you have two people, like if you know nothing else and you see two people walk into the gym and then two people walk out, one of them is just like, looks exactly the same, like pretty chill, you know, whatever. And this other person is like sweating and they're like puffing hard. Mm. Who do you think got the better workout? The sweating guy, yeah. You don't know what happened in the gym. You know, mm. you don't know what happened. Maybe the guy, in, you know, sweating inside the gym, he was just like sitting in the sauna all the time. And, you yeah, know, yeah. maybe the guy, you know, that's looking chilled out, maybe they're just super extraordinarily fit. You don't know. But at a surface glance, in 99% of the case, the person that did more, that looks like they did more work, they exerted more power into it. They're the one that got the better workout. It's the same thing for learning. If you see two people and they're studying, one person is just reading something, writing stuff down, listening to something, writing stuff down, mm. writing it down, reading it again, you know, adding stuff from a textbook, copy pasting this, drawing a little picture here. If, if that's what they're doing, sure, they may have 50 pages of notes at the end of it, but actually what is happening in their brain? Mm. How engaged <clears throat> are they? How much work are they doing? You see another person, what you should see is that externally, it doesn't look like they're doing much. They're reading something and then they're sitting there and then they're, they're looking something up and they're sitting there and then they're either, you know, listening to something else and they're thinking about it. And then they're, you know, reading a little bit more. And then, and then, the, then you see them start scrolling some things on the page and then you see them go back to it. That tells you that this person is thinking. They're really trying to connect dots together. Mm. So a lot more work is happening in here and less work is happening out here. They're offloading uh, a lot less of that load. Mm. So, you know, that's one thing that people need to get more and more familiar with. So if someone's listening to this and at the moment, they're very, what we consider a passive learner, a lot of just kind of information in, information out without much time spent in the middle. The first step is just to think, how can I increase the amount of time and effort I'm spending up here by maybe just five, 
Okay, easy way to do that is instead of someone saying something and you writing notes straight away, just think about it for a little bit longer. Get to the point where you feel a little uncomfortable with it. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, I'm really having to hold on to it and think about it a little bit more. And then get to the point where you're now able to hold on to it and you're able to now bring ideas together. Okay, how does this compare to the previous thing that was said? How does this compare to what I already know? And then get comfortable with that. And, and then you say like writing once you're in that space, <clears throat> rewriting what they've said in your own words. Is that a powerful, because rather than just regurgitating what they've said, going, all right, now I get it. Here's how I would write it. Mm -hmm. Is that, because I'm not sure. So, it, well, it's a spectrum. Yeah. So that's definitely much better than just writing it as, in fact, there's actually research that shows that the higher your word count in your notes, the worse your outcome is right. likely to be. Right. Not necessarily. Uh, I think, have I told you that quote, that Abraham Lincoln quote? He's like, I wanted to write you a, a, long, a short letter, but I didn't yeah. have time, so I wrote you a long one. Yeah. It's like the real art is how can you get what you need to in as little amount exactly. of words as possible. Yeah. So the, the, the <laughs> idea is that like higher word counts tend to mean that what was copied is more verbatim, yeah. which means that they probably thought about it less. Yeah. You know? So it's like an interesting little relationship. Um, so if you paraphrase it, that's, that's better. Mm. But th there's, there's levels beyond that, right? You could not just paraphrase a single idea. You could paraphrase a group of ideas. And then you could not only paraphrase a group of ideas, you could then uh, display and express how that group of ideas relates with another group of ideas, you know, non-linearly. Mm. And you could take that another step further. So for example, you could know that two things are related to each other. That's good. But it's another whole level of learning beyond that to know how important that relationship and that you know, connection between these two ideas as compared to another set of relationships or connections, mm. right? Not just knowing that two things are related, but saying how important is that relative to something else? So if I ask you a question like, how, like, you know, is your amount of, you know, money that you're able to save and your money that you have at retirement related to each other? Oh yeah, there's a relationship there. Mm. Okay. And then I say, well, is that related to compound interest? And then is that related to index funds? Mm. And you'd say, well, yeah, there are relationships there. So someone that's thinking at that middle level, they'd say, okay, cool. So we've got like amount that you can save and then we've got like index funds and then, uh, you know, retirement savings and then, yeah. you know, and then that, you know, leads to money at retirement. Okay, that's cool, right? But the next level beyond that would be to say, well, what is the most important compound interest relationship between that? You know, yeah. if you had one thing that's the most important or what is the fundamental relationship that's the most important? Or if we add, mm. you know, more concepts in there, it's eventually, if you're only thinking about this is related to this and this is related to this and you're just thinking about identifying relationships, mm. you're going to end up with a massive web of information that's very hard to follow because there's too much going on. So after figuring out all these networks of connections, you then have to actually make a decision about what is more or less important. You need to bring certain things out. You need to fade some things into the background. You need to create emphasis and priority. This is kind of like taking that map and saying, okay, now it's not like just a crazy mess. Now I can see that there are roads and pathways yeah. and there are actual, you know, it's well connected. Now we need to build some highways. We need to build some landmarks. We need to build the town hall here. You know, this is where the main motorway is going to be. This is the major off ramp. I'm going to build a roundabout here. We have to lay these kind of uh, larger roads to travel through. So it makes us faster to navigate to and from different parts. That is a level of thinking way beyond. Even just with this example right now, you can just intuitively feel that having to think about what is the most important already starts making you think at a yeah. higher level, right? As You're you comparing more and- As you were telling that, I was like, what's most important? I was like, well, if you did nothing else and you're just leveraging compound interest, like that's, that's really how do you build a retirement fund and everything, compound interest. It's like, to me, that's the most important one. Yeah. 
And so, and, and if you didn't know that. that already, imagine the thinking that would have to go into yes. trying to figure that out. Yeah. That's where the learning is happening, mm. right? So I- anyone can know this intuitively. Just take, take something that you're happy with, like your favorite book, your favorite movie, your favorite you know, TV series, like your sport, uh, you know, a hobby, a cultural thing that you're really in- into. Imagine, first of all, someone saying, hey, I want to learn about this. And then you say, okay, well, let me type out a comprehensive manual about everything that I know in a linear format. Mm. You can just already tell, like, that's just not an effective way of communicating, like, the nuance. And, yeah, maybe they'll get the information as a reference, but, like, the, the real knowledge and the learning, you wouldn't expect someone to read a manual and then have, like, a really good, deep, solid understanding of mm. it afterwards. You'd be surprised if they were able to do that just from reading a manual, right? Well, isn't this what they call, like, um, book teachers or something? Is it, I know there's a term, it's like where teachers will like, they'll go from high school straight into uni and then straight into uh, teaching. It's like they've never actually implemented yeah, anything yeah. in the real world. <laughs> yeah. And so you're learning from people who have just learnt via textbooks. It's like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, because I remember my, I did automotive. I rebuilt a motorbike from scratch. Yeah. And my teacher spent 30 years as a mechanic yeah. before he became a teacher. And he's a, so good at it because he had all this real world experience. It makes a difference. So, so good versus someone who's just done from a textbook. It's like yeah. really, it almost I think should be illegal. To have well, like, yeah, well, cause it's like, what are we learning here? They, these people haven't experienced like, so, it, depends so on the, it depends on the topic. But it depends on the topic, but like what you're talking about right now is that some of these people don't know what is important and why. They don't yeah. have the context, right? And so the, the a lot of the research, and this is the thing that really honestly, like, it bothers me a lot. And I was, I was talking to a couple of researchers yesterday actually about this and it bothers them too, is that a lot of the research done in learning is just for institutions and, and educators. Mm. If you're a learner, if you're a student, and your school or teacher doesn't happen to adopt these cutting edge kind of practices, what are you meant to do? Mm. Well, you just wait 10 years for them to pra- change their practice? Like, mm. you know, you gotta be able to do something to manage this. So I, I always say like, it's, Im- it's an imperfect world out there. You're gonna get bad teachers, you're gonna get bad resources. You can't let that be the thing that controls yeah. how well, you know, you gotta be the one that's in charge. You need to exert your influence yeah. on it. So you can have excuses or results. That's what yeah, we exactly, say, yeah, you, you can't have ex- both. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's like the, the biggest issue I'm seeing with young people right now is they have excuses that are justified. They'll be like, oh, the traffic was late. Oh, the traffic caused me to be late. That's true. Everything you, can be justified. You could have left earlier. Exactly. It's like if you take control, it's like, oh, I've got a shit teacher. That's true. But what can you do yeah. to get around that? Because otherwise, if you just go, I've got a shit teacher, then you're in, you've got no control of anything. Yeah. And you're like just going through the motions. Yeah, it's about what can you do right now yeah. to, to make a difference? Because like one of the things I always thought is, is there someone that could be in this position and do well? Mm. Does that person exist? If the answer is yes, why can't that be me? Yeah. You know? There's the other thing. It's like anybody's ever done it then you can too. Yeah. And somebody has. Yeah. And even if someone has never done it before, could do you think it could be done? Yeah. If the answer is yes, what have you got to lose? Mm. If you don't try, you're going to fail anyway. Mm. So you may as well, you know, be the one that at least tried, right? So, yeah. So like um, going back to the example with like the, you know, writing out the manual, mm. maybe another, you know, a better way of doing it would be to, you know, let's say if you were to draw out like a schematic or a map of how all, it, you know, everything works. But again, you can imagine like, the type of, th- again, always going back to the metacognition, right? And this is this is something that I have to emphasize because I, I explain it again and again and again. People still don't really quite get it is that it's not about what we're putting on the paper. It's about the thinking that is involved before. That's where the learning is happening. Mm. So if you think about the type of thinking that's involved in creating a manual versus the type of thinking that is involved when you're having to map it out, mm. Right. And, if, you know, if the people listening to the state really imagine that, you know, take that hobby or whatever that they're, they're thinking about and imagine, OK, well, or for a book series, 
how are the different characters related to each other? You know, you draw that tree, you'd see the yes. relationships. Yes. Think about how that is all forming together, okay? And then you think about the type of thinking you're engaging in. You notice how that feels different to just putting down information linearly, yeah. right? I'll tell and you then, the book series I was telling about Stormlight Archive, right? Yeah. There's three main characters. There's so many characters, but there's three main ones. I'm already imagining the three at the top with a web to who their relationships are, how they connect, and you could like write little notes on the web. You know, like the freaking yeah. the serial killer when they're doing the, <laughs> yeah, the web yeah. and connecting the dots and everything. I'm already imagining it like that. And that's yeah. way easier than like dot points and writing yeah. down a page. And and I want you to notice that if someone were to look at your serial killer map, yeah. They wouldn't be able to really tell. There's sure. just so much going on. But you are the one, and this is the reason is that you're the one that put in the work. You're in your head. You had to create that, mm. which is why it's going to have an impact for you. It doesn't. Those notes don't need to be good for anyone else other than yourself. It's almost like a, a coded notes. Yeah. So only you understand it. Yeah. So if you look at someone that's have got, got really, you know, top performance at, you know, for advanced level curriculums and things that are really, really challenging, what they're producing is not necessarily like meaningful for someone else. Right, it's not easy to decipher. Okay, so let's take that serial killer map that you've got. Right, you've got this big web, and you know people listening, the, the just whatever map that you're sort of imagining. Yeah. I want you to now imagine all of these different relationships. Really think about how extensive this really gets across the whole span of the the topic that you're thinking about. It could be like, like if if you I'm thinking my book series. Imagine Lord of the Rings. You've got Frodo, you've got Aragorn, you've got the key characters that are linked to whatever whatever you're imagining yeah. it as. Just apply it to whatever you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we're thinking about something like even like a sport, you could think about like the different techniques or the positions mm. or the strategies involved in the sport and how yeah. all of those things link together. Think about the way that you practice, the drills that you do, the way that you're coached even. Think about all of that and how that affects it. If you're thinking about an instrument, again, techniques and strategies and mm. um, you know music theory and then yeah. the way that you're expressing it. Think about how all of those things relate together. It, it's becoming very, very complicated. At this point, if you're doing this activity right, you should feel... Damn, this is overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. You should feel like it's this is too much. And that's good. That means that you're trying to do this correctly. Okay, so now what the next step is, we get it to the point where it's not overwhelming anymore. Again, by exerting that influence. So now take that massive web and I want you to I want you to now start grouping some of that together. It doesn't have to be stuff that's next to each other. It could be totally opposite points of this and say, how can I group the information together in such a way that it reduces the number of connections? How can I group things together based on the things that are important for similar reasons that serve a similar function that mm. have the same kind of context. Maybe, and there's multiple ways you can do it. You could do it differently to how your friend is doing it. If it's talking about like a book series, maybe you're going to do it based on like chronology, characters at the beginning, characters in the middle, characters mm. at the end. Maybe you could do it based on like good versus evil. Maybe yeah. you can do it based on powers that they have. If you're thinking about like, like strength, an, yeah. Or, yeah, strengths. Or if you're thinking about an instrument, maybe you could do it based on you know, uh, different types of pieces that you use those types of dynamics or, you know, different types of music theory that tends to express different types of emotions. You can group them in any possible way, but you have to just figure out what type of group feels like it makes the most sense for you, right? Mm -hmm. So I want you to start thinking about how you could start grouping some of these things together. And I want you to notice what type of thinking does that engage? And you feel how that's actually different mm -hmm. to both the manual and just identifying it. Now we're actually comparing between relationships. We're going back and forth and left and right, all different directions to think, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Does this make sense? It could be this, but then it could be this. But then if I do it this way, then I have to group it this way. But then if I group it another way, oh, then I can't group it this way anymore. Yeah. I, I might do it this way instead. Oh, but then that would affect this yeah. relationship. So now what you should feel is that it's overwhelming in a different way. It's I not think even just by doing that, if they don't get it, but just by contemplating all these new ideas. just that, is massive like learning. 
even if you haven't figured out a way to group it, but you're trying, I could do this, I could do this. You're going to, just by doing that, I'm already seeing like, you're going to start to comprehend the relationships a lot better. Much, much better. What you're going to see when you do this, whether you are successful or not, and whether you're able to succeed at doing this is, is you know, multiple variables, your skill level, how comfortable you are at it. Mm. For example, if you've been trying to think in this way for a long time, it's going to be easier for you. If it's just your first time, you're, you're almost 100% going to fail at being able to succeed through it. Mm. But just the act of putting in the effort means that you are getting stronger at it. You're getting that workout and your, your brain's doing the load. You're getting that learning. You're going to start seeing your memory is better. Mm. You're able to hold on to information more easily. You're able to hold on to information for longer. You're not going to have to repeat things as more. You're going to feel that it's much more relevant. You're going to feel that you're able to answer questions about it and have discussions. Those curveball questions that you're afraid of and have anxiety about during the exam, not an issue anymore. Mm. You thought about every curveball already. Yeah, in yeah. the process. In of, the process, yeah, right, yeah. at the time of learning. I think the key thing is there, as people go, ah, oh, the, the goal here is to group them. Yes, that's a goal, but the goal is also to figure out different ways because yeah. in the grouping is where you actually learn the relationships. Exactly. The, the goal is to do the thinking involved yeah. in the grouping yes. and the grouping is almost just the outcome yeah. because you could group it in a way that's meaningless. Mm. It doesn't produce any learning. So let's say that- you someone can group it for you. you could, yeah, or someone to group it for you. Yeah, hey, completely you've done all the, can you send me your grouped notes? It's like, that doesn't exactly. mean shit. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's the shortcut, right? You don't want to take the work away from your brain, right? If if you, if I said, okay, now group all your main characters by the characters that start with the letter C. Mm. It's like, okay, well, you, now you're just going to look through the list and be like, okay, all the C characters. This, I mean, yes, you're thinking kind of back and if forth, but there's no real comparison. Your brain's yeah. not doing any work. It's a very tedious, boring process. Yeah, That's a sign that your brain is entering into these lower phases. Also, that's something a computer could do. It, exactly. If yeah. your computer can do it, then it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, not it's too algorithmic, you know? Yeah. So you have to be able to really like exert that brain power on the topic. And th at the end of the day, yeah, you've got this, you know, grouped set of notes and now it's organized. It's organized, but it's organized in a different way than most people think. When most people think organized notes, they think about nice headings and different, you know, color pages or whatever. It doesn't look like that anymore, but it's organized in a way that is very, very closely representative of how you have structured the information yeah. in your head. And the cleaner that becomes and the better you get at it, the, the better your learning is going to be. And you know what? This process is a lot more engaging. It's frankly more enjoyable. I've got to say, this sounds fun. Like yeah. I, I kind of want to go practice this, exactly. this book series idea of just like, how I'm already thinking, how would I group them? Exactly. Oh, there's, there's, yeah, there's ability level. There's so many different things. I would, I would, I would challenge you to do this for, for your own practice. I challenge any teacher or educator to do this. Get a list of every single concept, every terminology that you teach. Make a massive list out of it mm. and then do this process. Create that web. Take that web, start grouping. Once you've grouped it, do it again. Group it a different way mm. and get to the group where you feel like it does not get any simpler and more intuitive than the way that I've grouped it. Here's a quick tip for anyone listening. Often the group you need to form is not a, a chapter heading that's already given to you. It's not a group that is previously established. You can create a group of your own based on what makes sense to you. You that's can create it. your own. Yeah, in fact, yeah, in, some, in a lot of cases it's better. Because so it's, it's custom to you. It's custom. So what I found in my experience is that for most subjects, especially at secondary school level, around 60 to 70% of the groups that you will form, differs on different topics, but around 60 to 70% of the groups that you will form are groups that were not in a textbook or taught to you by a teacher, mm. right? And the ability to actually group, that, that is a level of thinking that normally you wouldn't expect from someone until they're at like a PhD level. But if you are able to tackle secondary school at the thought level of a mm. PhD candidate, you're not going to have issues. You don't care about the exam. The exam is easy. It's just mm. like, oh, I just rock up and just like express my knowledge. It's so, it's so trivial. 
So this whole thing that I've been talking about right now in terms of thinking about things in this way and how it feels different, right? The awareness of that is called metacognition. Mm. Super, super important. You've got to start tuning into that. Is that, so step one is taking it from our subconscious to our conscious mind? Being is conscious. It, that's what metacognition yes. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's being aware of what the processes are rather than just, you know, being like a passenger in this, mm. you know, vehicle that's traveling. Like you are really driving it and you know how to control this vehicle. Because I'm, I'm just thinking like, because I, I love this, this, this grouping idea. I'm already thinking, if we go back to what I shared earlier on, how I just was writing out the essay, just just writing it out, just complete autopilot. I had no idea what I was really doing. Yeah. Um, like, how can we apply that? Okay, let's take the key things from the book, mm-hmm. or whatever the essay I'm writing about mm-hmm. is. What are the key lessons here? I'm like, that already sounds fun. First of all, fun. Yeah. And the stressful thing for me about studying was I didn't know what to do. So I just sit down. I'm like, I had no, I was just winging it. Yeah. So if I know what to do, I'm way more confident. I sit down, all right, 30 minutes. I'm going to, first, I'm going to draw them all out. Then I'm going to sit down. I'm going to start grouping them. I'm going to do five different versions of different groups. And it's not getting the outcome of the group. It's the doing. Yeah, the, and you will feel it. You will already feel that you're, you're learning it really, really in depth. Okay, I'm going to say two things about that in addition. Because number one, when you start doing this for the first time, okay, so this type of thinking this falls within the domain of what are called higher order thinking skills. And it produces what is called higher order learning. Mm. Higher order learning is like really the holy grail when it comes to learning. You know, research is very consistent and strong about the effect and power that higher order learning has. I'm always harping on about it. Um, and it's, it's, it's really a game changer because I really think about it like going up a gear when you're driving. Like if you're in first gear, it does not matter how hard you yeah, push yeah, that accelerator. Yeah. And it's going to sound terrible. You're going to be in pain. When you put it up a gear, it activates another level of thinking in your brain. And it has all these memory benefits and it has benefits in the way you're able to really retrieve and use and, and apply that knowledge. When you do this for the first time, it feels a little insecure. There is going to be uncertainty because, and the reason for that is not because it's not effective. The reason is because most people have existing habits mm-hmm. of learning that rely on having copious amounts of linear information. And now not having that is going to feel very disarming. If that really, really bothers you, you can sort of transition slowly. You can have your copious linear notes and then you can do this process afterwards. Well, I was about to say, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but do do you find people will often write their notes out of like ego? They want other people to see how pretty their notes are or like- Some people, but a lot of people are not like that. Yeah. yeah, uh, a, a lot of a lot of people are, are, are not like there are definitely some people that are like that, and and to be honest, that's really a whole other set of issues because no one needs to see your notes except for you. No one right. needs to see your notes except for you. Yeah, yeah, and you know you don't have to prove anything to to anyone, uh, you know, other than just you know fulfilling what your own goals are. Mm. So if you sort of take away the you know the ego aspect of it, and you recognize that hey, I feel a little insecure about having notes look differently, but if you're in tune again, metacognition, if you're thinking not just how much knowledge is out here, but how much knowledge is in here, then uh, you'll start to slowly calibrate yourself. And then it will become, you know, you won't have, it won't be, it won't be uncertain anymore because you're now going to know like, yeah, this is actually effective. This is what effective learning actually properly feels like. Most of my students, they have that sense of insecurity and uncertainty when they go back to their old method of note-taking. Oh, now. Yeah. Yeah, Because now they're so aware of how powerful this is when they don't feel that type of thinking, that higher order thinking they start feeling insecure. They're like, man, there's something that's going wrong. Like I'm dropping into these lower levels. They're so aware of the detriment that that has on their efficiency that that is the thing. It doesn't take that long. Few weeks of kind of practicing this is what can get you there. And do you find, because have you heard me talk about the rat experiment? Uh, 
this is great experiment. I always share it. It always gets, it's a great story. But there was this like a scientist and he had like a rat and he put it into a beacon of, of water and the rat would just be treading water. And he wanted to see how long would the rat survive treading water. And on average, the rat would survive for about 12 minutes treading water and then it would just give up. And then as it would start dr drowning and sinking, the scientist would pull it out yeah. and save it. He, did, he then put it down, he did this. And then he went, I wonder how long they're gonna survive for the second time. And I always pitch this to people. I say, how long do you think? Some people go 15 minutes, 20 <laughs> minutes. Some people say five. Some people will be like one hour, two hours. Um, the end result was 60, like, huh? 60 hours. Damn. 60 hours. And the, I guess the conclusion that he came to was it was an experiment on hope because mm. the rats were, they knew that last time um, they got pulled out the very last minute. So they kept clinging on to, I'm going to get pulled out. I'm going to get pulled out. Right, I'm going to get saved. Right. I'm going to get saved. That was his theory anyway. And it really just shows how powerful hope is. And so the reason I shared this is, do you find with your students that you, once they start doing this, they start going, oh my God, I, I did this and look at this. And they start yeah. getting excited about learning and they actually get, once you can have hope to people, they can do so much more. Honestly, the word like metacognition sounds so damn boring. It's like, Metacognition, like I'm not gonna get excited on a Friday night because yeah, of yeah. metacognition. If I'm like, dude, there's a new paper released on metacognition, yeah, you're not yeah. gonna be like, okay, like I'm canceling all my plans, no party tonight, let's read about metacognition. It sounds boring, but what it is, is that it is directly the information that gives you control over one of the most powerful processes that happens in your brain. It is the key to unlocking that superpower, right? Mm. Like, you know, what I, you know, pe people always say knowledge is power, right? If knowledge is power, where's the power being generated from? Your, your brain, your brain is a thing that is generating that power. Knowing about how your brain works allows you to be the engineer of this power generator. You can crank up or reduce down that power as much as you want. If there is the superpower, that's gonna be it. Mm. You know, the ability to finally control exactly what you're doing with your learning. You don't do well on an exam, no need to stress. You just have to tune in on which part was slightly unoptimized and you just need to optimize it. And then the next totally. exam is done. Like yeah. we, we don't have to worry about it. I don't worry about exams. I don't worry about assignments. I know what result I'm gonna get the moment I submit it because I'm very tuned in to exactly what processes I'm using and what outcome that that has. Mm. If I'm studying for something and I go into an exam, I'm not worrying about it. I know probably within three to you know three percent accuracy what grade I'm likely to get, right? Most people, you know, don't know that. Most people, they're, they're living in fear of it. They're thinking, I mean. hope they don't ask me about yeah. this. Did I study enough? Oh, what if this comes up in the test? Oh, what if I forget this? What if, and then, you For know. me, exams is how can I cram as much information I need for that one day and then immediately forget about it? Yeah. Like I remember biology, like biology was this, in my school, the second most content heavy subject. And even my teacher said, yeah, a lot of this you'll never actually need to know, but you need to know it for the exam. Yeah. And I was like, well, why do we need to know it then? If we never yeah. need to know it, why, do, why is it in the exam? Yeah. Um, just because that's a curriculum. It's and by the way, my biology teacher was amazing. Mm. So it had nothing to do with her. She was absolutely incredible. It was the only reason I kept biology because yeah. my teacher was so good. Um, but yeah, I was just like cramming information. And I didn't even know how to cram it. I was just like, just winging it. It's just like, and it was, it was so stressful because you go into an exam going, I hope they don't ask me this. What are they going to ask? And then you start overthinking and everything else. And it just compounds and gets worse and worse and worse. Let me, let me, let me tell you something interesting, right? If your teacher is really good, right? And therefore you find the topic more interesting, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the best case scenario, yeah. right? Right? Wrong. It's not the best case scenario. Because you're not forced to learn it? Yeah. Yeah, out of pain. So yeah. This is called the fade out effect. So what, what we're finding, actually it's, this has been found for a, a long time now, is that when you're not, uh, you, you're not forced to manage that load yourself, Mm. All this uh, thinking that we're talking about, like it takes effort. 
teachers, and actually this is kind of the paradox of teaching, and there's a lot of debate in the research around this, but we don't have the answer yet. Teachers are constantly trying to, well, I mean, supposedly, trying to get better at teaching. Good good teachers are. Good teachers are yeah, trying yeah. to get better. They're trying to make, and what does good teaching usually mean? More engaging, yep. more like, easier for the student to handle. Yeah. The topic is more manageable. Fun right? as well. And more fun, Yeah. right? So if someone else is making it more manageable, more engaging, and more fun for you, mm. then do you need to then make it more manageable, fun, and engaging for yourself? No. Mm. So it actually means that because someone else does the work for you, you actually don't develop these fundamental skills. And so what they find is that people with these really good teachers early on, they tend to underperform in the later stages. Because at a certain point, the topic becomes so advanced and difficult that it doesn't matter how well the teacher makes it manageable, Mm. you still have to manage a certain amount yourself. Even with the best teacher, it's still sufficiently complex that you need to do the work. At that point, you're either strong enough or you're not. So... It's a very interesting sort of thing. So yeah. if anyone has a bad teacher or a subject that they're not interested in, if, especially if you're in secondary school, consider that like you're, you're like a blessing. Mm. That's, your, that's your training chamber. So what is, I mean, because obviously, I, you know, I te- I, I'm, I, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about everything I teach and empower you and I, I present, which is essentially teaching. And it's such a good point. Like what's a, is the solution here? How do we as a teacher create an environment where they are able to learn themselves? Pretty much. So there's a there's a couple of things that I give to educators. And when I train educators on this stuff, it's because it, it, it goes against a lot of their own principles. But if we center it on like what is best for the learner long term, mm. then, you know, we all get on the same page. So when you're teaching something, don't necessarily feel the need to always explain something to the full level. Mm. When you leave a bit of gap between I get this, but I don't quite get it. And the I, that light bulb moment. When you don't try to bridge that gap for them, but you give them enough incentive to bridge that gap themselves, then they are forced to engage in the learning yeah. more. It puts more load on them. Not a lot, mm. but enough to really get that engaged. And if you, if you combine that with, I can't remember what it's called, it's like real world learning or something. But it, it's like the, the simple example is if you've got kids who are like five years old and you're teaching them about quarters or like fractions, right? You can say, here's a circle. What if we cut it up into one, two, three? That's one quarter. Or you can go, hey kids, who here likes pizza? Oh, I like pizza. What's your favorite flavor? Oh, yeah, this one. Okay. Let's imagine we've got a meat lover's pizza here. Uh, okay, who wants a piece? All right, Jimmy, John, Susan, and Sarah, you want a piece? So all four of you want a piece. All right, so we're going to cut it into four pieces. So let's say we cut it up. This is one quarter each. And basically, you're taking a two same teaching, but you're applying it to the real world. I think if you can, that's a big issue I had in school. Mm. Everything I was learning, I was like, when am I ever going to use this? When, context. When I'm, I'm not going to need Pythagoras' theorem. We're talking about buildings and shit. I'm like, when am I going to need this? So here's the thing, right? What teachers should do. And like for you, when you're teaching as well, like this is something that is, is good practice is you don't, necessi- you don't necessarily have to be the person that tells and explains to them why it's relevant and how to use it in context. But you should create an activity or, or mm. some kind of environment that gets them to figure it out themselves. And what you need to do is then facilitate the process of them figuring it out. Mm. So what you know, you go into the role, you know, there's two different roles. One is delivering information and delivering content. After you've delivered a certain amount of information content, for them to start working with the raw materials, then you give them a push in the right direction in terms of how to think about this. And then from that, you take a back seat and what you watch now like a hawk is how are they engaging with it? What are they thinking about? What patterns of thinking are they? How are they trying to solve this and connect it? And then now all you're doing is just stimulating that thought. 
and teaching them about effective patterns of thinking about this. And then by the end of it, you like every good teacher should work themselves out of you know into redundance. Yeah. You know, if the, if your student needs to come back to you to continue to learn stuff, you're not doing a good job as a teacher. Well, it sounds like the goal of a teacher isn't to give them the answers, is to help them figure out the answer on themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is something that is uh, in the in the research is considered uh, spontaneous self-explanation. So it's the ability for a student to spontaneously, without cue, create an explanation for something themselves. Spontaneous self-explanations so far is one of the things that is most consistently associated with higher level learning. Mm. So the ability for someone to do that, because it's, it's a complex thing to spontaneously create an explanation for yourself. I, I think I, in my view, personally, my opinion of this is that the best types of teachers they don't focus on teaching the content. They focus on the facilitating the ability for someone to think about it in such a way yes. that they can arrive at these self-explanations. Well, that's what we do because in the money and finance section in Empower You, right? That's the heaviest section for the age group. It's not, a, it, you know, it's very, I get a lot of questions. A lot of it goes over their head. Some of them yeah. 14, right? Mm -hmm. And the last thing we do, I break it up into two parts. Number one is your money relationship. And then it's the like, okay, how do we start doing this? The three different ways of investing. The very last thing we do is all around compound interest. And we show them over 45 years, if you invested $100 a month, $200 a month, or $400 a month. Um, and the only thing that we change is 10% interest, 15% interest, 20% interest. And people always say, but how am I ever going to get 20% interest over 45 years? You're not. But that's not the point. Yeah. We're just trying to get them excited. We're just trying to make them feel the power and get them excited so that they can go and do the research on their own. We just want to give them the emotion so they're going... And then we get we get the music up, we get them to like react to all numbers. We'll be like one point eight million dollars. Again, it's not realistic. It's not supposed to be realistic. It's just to get them excited, feeling it, so that they can start to just hopefully get enough motivation to go do their own research. Because yeah, we've only got two traction. We've only got two hours to teach them the stuff. You know, yeah. I need two weeks minimum to really deep dive into that. Yeah, yeah. So and and well, the stuff that goes over people's heads, like. The, the, the way that I always think about it, like when I was early, like really early on in my teaching practice, like even actually when I was getting my teaching certification where I'm like taught, you know, this is the way that you're meant to teach. The idea that some things go over someone's head was always pitched as something that like you as the educator need to make sure that you're pitching it in a way that it doesn't go over their head. Mm. You have to aim it at, at them. Mm. What I've realized is over scale you know, when you have not just like two or three people that you're talking to, but when you've got 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 3,000, it's not possible. You cannot <laughs> aim yeah. it in a way that actually hits it. So instead, what you need to do is you need to equip people with the ability that if it's going over their head, they are able to reach up and grab it and bring it down into their mm -hmm. head. And that takes, num that, that's, well, first of all, it takes a lot of pressure off of educators and being able to craft the perfect message that is somehow magically suited for every possible person that's listening. Mm. But also, it means that that person now has is equipped with a legit lifelong skill where they are able to you know traverse the world, ex access information, whereas with other people, they have to have it perfectly suited for them. If it's not perfectly mm. suited for them, I'm not able to learn it, yeah. right? This person is able to walk through and just grab. Well, that's why I see a lot of people who do really well at school get screwed over in the real world. Yeah, because they've been like, like really good at this certain way of learning, but then the real world's completely different. Mm. It's not theoretical; it's practical. You actually have to do it. Yeah, like just knowing the information isn't enough. You yeah. need to apply it. You need to have good communication skills. You need to like, you know, all this. Like, you could be. A, this is my issue. Like, I see a lot of, and no, I don't see it. I just hear it from a lot of friends at uni when they've got professors who just do powerpoints. And it's like just because they know the content doesn't mean they're a good teacher, yeah. and they can teach it engagingly and actually get that across. 
Like, I don't know what they teach. I, I know a bit because I've spoken to a lot of people. I wish they did more presentation training for teachers. And like, they usually, yeah, for a lot of universities have no training for their lecturers in terms of how to teach, which is why it's like that. But here's the thing is that like, I always see it from like the learner perspective. Like, yeah, I wish that, you know, lecture is more engaging mm. and whatever, but like- How do you take ownership and control? Yeah, but like at the end yeah. of the day, like you can't control that. Like, mm. sure, it'd be great, but like, does that change your experience of the lecture right now? Tomorrow, are they mm. all going to be trained? Like, no. So it's kind of like pointless to sort of, I personally think that like hoping that, you know, teachers would teach better is a very disempowering thought because- it, it doesn't affect your current practice, doesn't affect your current results. And it sort of places the ownership on someone else. But in the real world, like it's the total extreme of that. Like not only is it that they are not taught, no one is even teaching you to begin with. Your mm. teacher is like, you are just Googling things, mm. you know, like your learning is coming from, I don't know, like searching something on TikTok and seeing what someone just had. Ha like, you think the people that are teaching you stuff on TikTok are like trained mm. on how to like, if you're a TikTok educator, make sure you take this accredited course on like, you know, no, people aren't doing that. You have to be able to like take information, filter it, think about it, compare yeah. it. You have to be able to take 50 different sources of information, 50 different pieces of advice. Think how are they related together. You need to be able to map it out. You mm. need to be able to decide what is more or less important. Fade some things, fade some things out, right? Exact, the exact same process we talked about before. It applies for every single subject, biology, math, chemistry, creative writing even, like every possible thing that involves human knowledge this is something that's going to be a, a critical life skill because it's just the way that your brain works. Mm. And a lot of people say, oh, but you can't use this for like physics or you can't use this for politics or you can't use this for accounting. You're not using a different brain. Yeah. You know, when you're, it's the same brain. Like yeah. the brain is still using fundamental learning processes. Yeah, there are differences in the actual thoughts you're having and the actual groups that you're forming. But the, at, the, at, the, at a base level, is it possible for your brain to hold on to massive amounts of information and use it at a higher level when the information is isolated and not integrated and not grouped in this kind of way. No, it's mm. not how the brain works. It's just not possible. So if that's something that you want to achieve, there's no alternative. Mm. You have to do it. Mm. You either do it early or you do it late or you never do it and then you just don't do one well on that subject. Yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't, I, I can't see a field where that wouldn't apply. Yeah. It's like, it's only going to benefit you. And this is what I talk about, like not just learning, but like during, I, th I think for your 20s, you really need to be honing in. How does your brain work? Look at your emotions, how you react into different scenarios. If you can really focus on that, and again, that metacognition, mm -hmm. just taking it, the first step is taking it for your subconscious and rather than just being a passenger, step into the driver's seat. There's an, a story I love and it's like, there was a, a horse, uh, a horse that was riding through town with a rider on it. And he, as he rides through town, um, one of the villagers leans over and goes, sir, you're so confident and sure of yourself. Where are you going? And the rider turns back and he goes, I don't know. You'll have to ask the horse. No. And we just go, I wonder how many of us are just, you know, riding the horse. We don't have control of the reins. We're just letting it go wherever it wants yeah. and take control of the reins. And I think the first step to do that is by going from your subconscious, the metacognition and going, all right, let's start doing this. Let's mm. start practicing. Yeah. Let's start baby steps. Let's take the example that Justin just gave us. I don't know what I want to learn, but I'm reading a book right now or let's do my favorite movie. Let's just start practicing how would I group it. Yeah. Again, what are you going to get out of it? Nothing short term, but it's going to help developing that, that Well, you that actually function. will get out of a short term. Like if you legit just take something and you do this process, immediately you'll actually feel that there's a difference. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's a powerful thing. It gets easier over time. Mm. You get better at it over time. You get to the point where it takes effort to stop doing this eventually because mm. your brain completely rewires itself to become a habit. I mean, that takes months. 
But eventually, you get to the point where this method of thinking becomes the default. But what's months in the span say, of a lifetime? That's what right? I say. Like, what's months in like your whole life? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it's, just, it's the thing. Even is school, like changing. High school, six years. You know, exactly. You start in year seven. Start yeah, exactly. in year, start in year eleven, and you're sweet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I'll, and a lot of people in the summer, you know, break, for example, they'll say like, "Well, what am I meant to do? Like, I don't have stuff, you know, to, to practice this on." You can practice on it, like you said, you practice on a book, practice on a TV series. Like mm. it's the method of thinking that you're training. I used to train this on Wikipedia articles, just random stuff. It's the same method of thinking that you can that you can apply. Mm. So extremely, extremely transferable skill. And yeah, like even if in the worst case scenario, it's taking you like, even if it's taking you years. It's still worth it. Time is gonna, uh, Virgil said, time passes irrevocably. Years are going to pass no matter what. Mm. At the end of that time, you either have the skill or you don't. Mm. That's a, that's a game-changing position yeah. to have in life. And it's like one thing that I really want to emphasize is that this is a skill. It is, yes, natural intelligence makes a difference here. For sure. Okay. But this is a skill that you can learn. Anyone can learn this. Anyone can be better at it. And even if you're not a master, being 5% better means that you're 5% better than you were before. Yeah. Being 10% better means you're, maybe you can get up to 200% better than you are now. Maybe that's where the potential is. And even if it takes you 10 years to get 200% better, it doesn't mean that you should avoid doing the work in the next week to make yourself 4% better because you're still getting 4% better. Mm. If you can get 1% better every day. Yeah, that's 37 that's, times, right? Exactly. Or 38 or whatever well, it is. That's three, I mean, in a year, that's 365% <laughs> Over a year, 1%, 1%. No, 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 because it compounds. But yeah, that's not factoring compounding, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's actually 30, I think it's like more like 3.7,000% or something right. like that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah Point like is, if you can just a do lot. micro things every single day, that's how do you achieve a big goal? It's habits compounded over time. Yeah. And I think when you're saying like, even if it takes you months to get here, it's like, don't don't use that mindset of I have to get here. It's like, it's a journey. Yeah. It's the doing it. You you're slowly going to get better and better. Exactly. Because like, you know that saying that's, what is it, like the man who moves the mountain starts with a single stone. Right. I think the way that people perceive that is like, well, it takes, you know, like, you know, you just get started with things, you know, you do it stone by stone, but in the back of their mind, they're thinking like that there is another way. I think the way, the correct way to interpret that is that there is no other way to move the mountain than mm. stone by stone. Mm. There is no alternative there. If you want to move the mountain, and you don't, not everyone needs to want to, right? Like I don't, I very strongly do not support like toxic productivity. Mm. Like you don't have to be efficient and productive for you to have value and worth in your life. You do yeah. not need to be an efficient human being for you to be a worthwhile human being, right? Like the human experience is whatever you want it to be. And I really have a lot of respect for people that are able to say like, I don't really care about being like super efficient or super productive. Like mm. that you don't need to be like a, super like goal oriented ultra driven like career ambitious all these things that society says you should be right like if you are living alone in a forest you wouldn't care about that you're just yeah. like happy to listen to the birds and cut down some trees and i don't know whatever you know and you'd have a great life yeah success is subjective success is totally subjective and i strongly strongly do not want anyone that listens to this to think i need to become like the most efficient version of myself to yeah. become the best version of myself the best yeah. version of yourself is whatever you are happy with but if there are problems if there are things that are bothering you, if it is affecting you in a negative way mm. because there's too much to do, there's too much pressure on your plate, there's, there's too much work that I need to do, I'm not able to get through it, there's more I want to do with my life, but I can't access that and I really want to, then the pathway to that likely is going to involve becoming more efficient. Yeah. And if that is something that you want to engage with, 
what we've been talking about today, this is a necessity. There's no way to, yeah. to avoid it. You cannot do it. Like your brain is not capable of achieving a certain level of mastery and memory without doing this process. It yeah. does not happen. I think um, the other way to look at it is it's an investment, right? It's a long-term investment, literally money investment. Because I mean, if we go back to the very first thing I said in this podcast, you went from 40 hours to two hours. You've just bought yourself a full-time job essentially. Yeah, so I was actually, this is a full-time program I was doing. I was working full-time. Yeah. more than full-time at the same time. Most other people that were in my cohort, they quit their jobs to enter into this program. Mm. I mean, that may not feel relevant for like a young student that's watching this in secondary school or something, but I mean, it, it is relevant. Like, it, 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 think about it like this. Imagine that you're going to school and then, you know, you, school is almost like a full-time job, basically. Basically, you know? yeah. And you're going to school and imagine that the amount that you have to study and all of that means that after school, you never have to study. Imagine if you are able to study so efficiently that by the time school ends, you're done. Mm. And you can spend the rest of your day doing whatever you want. How valuable is that? Even if you're just literally just chilling out. I would have yeah. loved to have an additional, I don't know, 20 hours a week just to play games. Yeah, totally. Uh, like just whatever this you what want I'm saying. Like if this is a financial investment because you, you're going to be way more efficient, and you, which means you can buy back the most valuable thing we have, which is time. One of the things that I found, like people that are really motivated, is um, people that want to go down athletic pathways. They don't care about their grades more than just enough to be eligible for their scholarships. Yeah, yeah. They're going down an athletic route, uh, especially people in the US because like the college athletic scene is like ridiculous mm. uh, over, over there. Um, like these are people that want to study the, the bare minimum mm. and still get a decent enough grade to maintain their scholarship. Right, right, right. So they can do it in less hours yeah, or more effectively. Yeah, because they're training like 30, 40 hours a week. Like they want to, you know, like play their sport. Mm. And so, you know, for them, they usually, you know, a lot of people often like deprioritize like studying. But actually, if that's what you want to do, you need to prioritize studying. And when I say prioritize studying, it's not talking about therefore study more. Yeah. Right? It's about studying less or in the same amount of time, extracting the maximum mm. amount of value out of it as, as efficiently as possible. Plus, if you want to be an athlete, if you really want an athlete, learning is only going to benefit you. Like if you yeah. can analyze, okay, how can we be better next time? What, what works? Like athletes have to be intelligent. You know, the funny thing is that a lot of the learning, like in fact, I'll even go to the point where I'd say most of the most efficient practices we know about how learning works originates in sports coaching. Right. Which... I think it's just because they've got bigger budgets to work with. Mm. So a lot of this research comes from sports coaching and then it Makes filters sense. its way down in education. In well, fact, and it's so literal, the results. Yeah, it's like very, very tangible. Yeah. And what's um, kind of like interesting is that actually the research around learning in sports coaching right now is probably like 10 to 20 years ahead of just mainstream education research. I believe and that. Mainstream education research right now, uh, uh, let me ask you something. And I, I want like the people listening to this to try to answer this themselves. There's, there's a gap between, you know, when people start researching things and then when that stuff gets taught in schools. Mm. So th there's a gap between, you know, when something is researched and then the time it takes for it to like fizzle down and be taught in schools. Mm. How long do you think that that takes? Just take a guess. <sighs> 15 years. Disgusting. It'd be a big amount. Right now, it's about 70 years. Seven, seven zero. Yeah. So what we are learning right now and what is taught as common mainstream practice. Like these are the things that you and your friends probably just learn about that's mm. just making its way on, onto the main stage. Yeah. This is stuff that not only is decades out of date, some of the stuff is already now being disproven by the time you started learning it. Yeah. Well, that's the, the story I, I love. I think I've said it to you. It's like, if you were to go back in time a hundred years ago, 
1920, let's say, the whole world would be different. You're walking in the street, everyone would be dressed differently. There'd be like buildings would be different, factories, everything would be different. But the one thing that would be the same is if you go into a school, you're going to see kids sitting yeah. down with a teacher at the classroom with a blackboard taking yeah. notes. Yeah. It's basically the same. It's basically the same. Everything else has changed. And everything else has innovated. Yet the school system, obviously there's been changes made, but it hasn't massively yeah. innovated. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess like final, like to summarize, basically, look, learning effectively, it takes effort, it takes time, put in the effort, do the work, get that workout, put, you know, take responsibility, take ownership of it. We talked about some strategies and skills around like higher order thinking and, you know, mm. going up a gear and using your brain more effectively. It's going to make you more confident. It's going to make you more fun. Uh, it's going to make it more fun. Uh, and, and it gives you it gives you hope and it gives you yeah. control. And that does a lot for reducing anxiety and test stress. Uh, and then we we talked about you know gaining metacognition and understanding how your brain works as like a fundamental for it. It sounds boring. It's not a sexy tip, you know, mm. metacognition, but it's necessary. You know, sometimes you got to do the work that no one else cares enough to do to really get those results mm. that no one else bothered enough to get. So, yeah. uh, you know, so so really investing that time and effort into doing that and just yeah, really just taking control of it and yeah. saying, maybe the situation, my teacher or whatever is not the best, but that's fine. That's your training ground. That's where you get to take an advantage where no one else is able to you know, yeah. grab onto it. It's not about right or wrong. It's about outcome. It, yeah. yeah. You might be right by saying your teacher's crap. Yeah. But how do you get the outcome anyway? Exactly. And that's the whole thing. So yeah, Justin, thanks so much for coming on. But I mean, for anyone who wants to like go to the, you know, you've got a whole course, a whole online course, which deep dives into all of these yeah. concepts. As I said, it's very well priced. It's like 500 bucks, isn't it? Yeah, for like a whole year. Yeah, yeah. For a whole year, it's like 500 bucks. So at this point, at least, under yeah, like yeah. change pricing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, but yeah. I mean, point is, I think it's very, very well priced. Mm. I think it's I think it's too cheap between me and you for that's, what you get. That's what people keep telling me. Yeah, but. yeah. But I mean, you're still early stages, so you're developing everything. You've got a bu thousands of students. If people want to go find that, I'll put the links in below. But where's the best place just to follow you? YouTube, TikTok, like all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So if you um, if you are interested in the course, ICanStudy.com. ICanStudy.com is where you can find it. But if you're not like either ready to commit to it or you just don't want to, that's totally fine. Feel free. I I try to put as much out for free as I possibly can. Yeah. People are always saying like, Justin, can't you put more out for free? Like, dude, like I'm literally like, yeah, yeah. I'm really cranking it out as yeah. much as I can. I mean like today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to do as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, then just search me up Justin Sung on YouTube or at Dr. Justin Sung on Instagram or TikTok. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on, on all of those platforms. So if you have any... You know, if you want to learn more about this, there's heaps of material mm. that I'm that I'm uploading uh, to learn about it. So, yeah. yeah, amazing. Well, Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.